going to share with you um, the third part in our Advent series on unwavering. And um, the last two weeks, I've had uh, a lot of conversations with uh, a, a lot of people in our church that have really talked about overcoming uh, what's called the battlefield of the mind, those intrusive thoughts that try to get in there and try to take over, the, the, the winning of the thought processes that we have sometimes that try to cloud in, and the disordered desires that we have that go against that are contrary to the things of God. This morning, I want to talk to you about unwavering, what it means to unwave, be unwavering in your faith and how to cultivate faith in your life. And each and every one of these, if you'll notice, I'm using the word cultivate because you can cultivate a thought life that honors God. You can cultivate an inner life that honors the Father, and you can cultivate faith. All of these things are choices, basically. It's the choice between life and death. It's the choice between folly and wisdom. There, we, we all have a choice. And Paul's talking to the church at Philippi, and he's basically saying, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is nearby. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, as if he hadn't said enough good things, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I had someone ask me uh, this question uh, last week, and it was, Pastor, I don't always feel unshakable, unbreakable, unwavering, and unafraid. I got to be honest with you. I was actually very excited that they knew those four words. I, I didn't even hear the question. I was like, okay, cool. You know all four of them. And I think they probably looked at the graphic. But anyways, um, they, they got a head start. I don't always feel that way. And how many would agree with me? Like that, that's a very, very true statement. I don't always feel unshakable, unbreakable, unwavering, and unafraid. As a matter of fact, I feel the exact opposite. A lot of times I feel very shakable. I feel very breakable. I waver, and a lot of times I feel afraid. And I think that's okay. Growing up, um, I was taught that if you felt any of those things, it was a lack of faith. It was a sin to have fear in your life or to be wavering or to feel shakable. I was taught that. And so I always felt guilty if I came to church and I didn't have that shakable, uh, unwavering faith um, and, and then I, I had the opportunity, like I said, as a young man, growing up, I was very fortunate to have good men around me, at least in the church. I, I, like I said, I grew up in a broken home. And so I ended up with all of these men in my life that really were able to cultivate and challenge me and grow me and form me. They called me to things, and it was incredible. They were giants. They were giants in the faith. They still are. I think about a lot of those men. They were, they were literally 33 foot tall. They had biceps that just rivaled a titan. You know, I, I still think about this, and I've asked myself multiple times, have I romanticized this? And, you know, I, I, I think about it. They were flawed for sure. They were very flawed, like all, all men are and all women are. They, were, they had their flaws, but they were giants. They, they had a sense about them that they were just, their feet were like concrete. They were just set in stone. 
And they were men that I could really look up to. And I very mistakenly thought that having great faith meant that I was very much above feeling weak or vulnerable. But one of the things I noticed about these men is that these men cried. They'd cry. They wouldn't cry just at anything, but they would cry. They were, they were, they were criers. Yes, they, they, they were strong, robust men. And I guarantee you, if you made fun of them, they, would, they wouldn't care. But they also were very much one of those kind of men that were very okay with being able. They would get in the presence of God, and they would weep. They'd talk about their kids, and they would just brag on them, and they would just, be, they would just weep. They would look at their wives, and you would see a smile come on their face. They, they just had a sense about them. They read deeply. They, they were men that were always recommending a book. If you had a problem, they would put a book in your hands. Read this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're probably, probably like, yeah, I do, because I hang around you. But I, I do that. I, I know. And that's not me trying to uh, get you out of my hair, but that's legitimately the thing that I've realized is that, you know, we cannot ever grow above what we're taught. We can't grow above our teaching. And that's part of the reason why I lead the way that I do, that I teach the way that I do, is because if I can get you to a place where the things that you are fearful of, they're no longer, you no longer have a sense of fearing them, the things that the enemy tries to force you into, you no longer have to be forced into it, but you realize that there's another way out, that there's some, a, an, another idea or another way of thinking. When you, when you understand something, it, does, it takes the fear out of it. And what I realize in the church that uh, it's like uh, Alistair Begg would say is that we have a sugary Christmas. And that is we, we love the candy canes and we love all of that. But the truth is that uh, most of us are dealing with things that are really hard. We're dealing with things that are very difficult. And that's okay. And there's a sense of, of that working in us, the faith. We're facing down, literally down the tunnel, and we don't know that the light is ever going to come. We don't know that we're, we're, we're in the middle of something and we can't get out of it. But these guys, they said, listen, read, and you can overcome ignorance if you can literally understand something. And if you're going to read, read Scripture. These guys had old Bibles, and they opened them up. They just fell apart. I love that. They would pray. They had no problem praying. They had no problem praying. They didn't mind grabbing their wife and praying. They didn't have a problem with being able to, if you called upon them to pray, they would stand up and pray. And they were the kind of prayers, when they prayed, they prayed. Like, they prayed. And, I mean, I can just remember guys like Steve Parker, man. When he would pray, you would just, the room would change. It would shift. Steve Parker was also the guy that took me out and took me snipe hunting in Michigan. I didn't even know there was a thing as snipe. I was freaked out. I had no idea. It was before the Internet. You couldn't research that it was a hoax. And so I'm holding this bag, expecting to get eaten by these snipe, and they're razor-sharp teeth. Don't mess this up. He had the ability to read the Word and also play a really good practical joke. He had range, as we talk about. There was something about that. They laughed. And I watched these men get mad. They called foolishness out around them all the time. They loved their wives and kids fearful, uh, fiercely. And then they built things for others. And I also had the privilege of being around women that did the same. It was incredible to be able to see that. Somehow they unlocked the code to moving past how they felt, and they moved with purpose. And that's the thing that I want you to see is that we live in a culture that sees everything with their feelings. And so if, it's, if you feel it, then it must be true. Faith isn't that feeling is wrong. Faith is saying that these feelings, while they may feel real, they are not the truth. There are facts out there, and that is my marriage isn't the best right now. My checking account balance isn't the best right now. Those are facts. But the truth is God has never left his people 
begging for bread, nor his seed alone, ever. And that's the truth. There are facts, but then there are truth. The ability to see facts for what they are is taking ownership. That's maturity. But being able to grow with faith and saying, though things may be this way, I am believing God for a better reality for my family. And that is the thing that you have to get for yourself. No amount of church, no amount of being in a community, none of that will give you the opportunity to say, I am going to have faith to believe for greater things. Now, that doesn't mean that God is a sugary God and he comes in as a butler and says, this is what you demand. I'm going to give it to you. But what it does mean that the Lord does not want us to stay consistently broken and helpless and faithless and fearful all the time but that we can move out of it into something different. And these four men, they taught me, or these men, they taught me four things. And the first one was repentance is beautiful. Repentance is beautiful. Look at your neighbor and say, repentance is beautiful. Repentance is beautiful. How many have heard that before? Repentance is beautiful. The next thing is, we win by losing. We win by losing. Christians, we win by losing. I watched these men turn the other cheek. I watched these men um, refuse to get the last word when they were wrong. They they won by losing. They didn't try to change their family. They they let the Holy Spirit change. One of the, the conversations I remember having with one of them just kind of changed my life. And he just, we were having coffee, and this was in Alabama. And he came down just to hang out, and I was sitting across the table, and I can't even remember where we were at. I think it was like a, uh, I don't even know um, what it was, actually. It was just like a a diner. It was an old diner. And he looked at me, and he said, Michael, he said, you know, he goes, "Um, you're not ever really going to reach the potential that God has for you because you can't love the mundane. And I remember that deeply. That's like, you know, and who tells you to love the mundane? No one tells you that, right? Everybody tells you if you do something awesome, make sure and post it as quickly as possible. No one tells us to love the mundane. The third thing was, failure is only permanent if we give up. And the fourth thing was, faith is a muscle, and it has to be used. Faith is a muscle, and it has to be used. 2 Corinthians, go ahead and turn there with me in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen as well, but turn there, because I want you to put a bookmark there, or one of your handy-dandy ribbons. If you don't have a Bible with a ribbon, you need one. you got to upgrade it's time to upgrade. I love my Bible. You can get one. Just upgrade with ribbons or add ribbons to it, I'm sure. Get Michelle Thompson. She can probably sew ribbons in your Bible. You need ribbons, okay? Because I'm going to give you some homework over the holidays. This is exactly what you want to hear, right? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. This is Paul speaking. And he goes, he goes I've been through a lot of stuff. And he goes, I have this thorn in my side, and I can't get it to leave. And I want it to leave, but I can't. I've prayed. I have fasted. I have read every book that's been shoved in my hand. I have went to church a million times. I've stood in prayer lines. I've done everything that I've been asked. And I've asked the Lord repeatedly, and he hasn't taken this thorn from my side. Theologians believe it could have been a sickness some people believe that it was he was actually married. There are all kinds of theories out there as to what Paul was actually dealing with. 
But no one knows entirely what it actually was. No one can point to it. But we just know that he had a thorn in his side. And some of us, we, we don't understand clearly that there are going to be times where the Holy Spirit will leave things in our life because he wants to teach us this very important lesson. And we're fighting a lot of times against the lesson that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring into our life. So if you're facing something that is very, very difficult and you have yet to overcome it and it just won't go away, and I'm talking about not seasonal, but I'm saying it just won't go away, that is where God wants to bring the biggest breakthrough in your life. It's usually where he's asking you to bring the most prayer, the most fasting, It's where he's asking you to bring the most focus. It's not because there's something bad that's going on or difficult. It's usually because he's saying, hey, I'm giving you this opportunity to go through this door. It is going to be hard. But on the other side of this door, not only is there going to be breakthrough, but you're also going to level up in your faith. And you go through it, and then you get on the other side. So here's what he said. I'm going through all this stuff. I've prayed and I've asked. And then Paul said, here's how he responded. But, and how many know, when you get a but, it means no. Right? Does that make sense? Like like anything, it's it's a a negative modifier, meaning this. Like if I go, hey, Taylor, um, you are just incredible, but. Does that make sense? Taylor's not going to hear anything that I said before that, she's just waiting for it. Now, when I talk to Taylor, there's never a but. It's always, you're so awesome and incredible, okay? But anytime you say but, but he said to me. Now, usually it's a negative modifier, okay, a negative conjunction. But he said to me, and look what the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is what? Made perfect in your strength. My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, now it's such a juxtaposition of terminology here. Therefore, I will boast. Okay? Now keep in mind, Paul just said, I've got this issue. The Lord's not taking away from me. Basically saying that I'm struggling through this. Then he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he goes, therefore, I will boast. How are you boasting when you're under this, this issue? Like, like you're struggling through it. He goes, but therefore I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, how many have that kind of faith? How many want that kind of faith? Does that make sense? Now, is it that Paul's better than you and he's better than me? No. Paul understood something that we forget a lot of times, is that when we're going through stuff, we have a tendency to collapse into ourselves as opposed to rely and trust and rest in God. So he says, listen, when I'm going through some things, I am going to trust in God's power as being made perfect. Four things, really quick. Number one, what does he say? His grace is sufficient for me. How many need his grace? But pastor, 
This has been going on for 10 years. Okay? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Is there any stipulation in the Scripture at all that you find that God's grace runs out after nine and a half years? So we live in a finite like resource mentality that we think that over and over and over and over again that God has like literally a, a finite pool of grace that's ready for us. But isn't, isn't this like taking advantage of God? Isn't this, a ta- like, isn't this sloppy grace? Isn't this cheap grace? Well, it depends. It's cheap if you go, hey, I don't really care that this thing is hurting the heart of God and I'm just going to continue to move forward. Or if you're going, Lord, remove this thing from me, and it hasn't left. One is actively participating in your rescue, and the other one is saying, hey, I don't really care. It's just flipping attitude about it. See, God's grace covers those who are going to him and saying, hey, I'm broken and I need help. But whenever we're literally stepping out of that grace is when we go, God, I can do this on my own. And here's the thing. What I realize is that I can't tie my shoes on my own. I need God's grace in everything in my life. His grace is sufficient. It's consistent and ongoing. Number two, his power is made perfect in weakness. So whenever I am weak, whenever I feel like I am at my weakest, it's usually when God's power is working the most in my life. And how many have ever experienced this? Whenever there's hard circumstances going on in your life, your prayer level increases. I mean, what I'm talking about. It's like, man, we get in the prayer closet really when things are starting to struggle. But he's saying, no, my power is made perfect in weakness. So we celebrate the idea that whenever we are weak, whenever we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God says, hey, I've been waiting for you to get to the end of yourself so that I could take over. That's when his power, and here's the thing, it is not the person in here, guys, it is not the person in here that has everything together that my heart goes and longs for, I mean, has everything broken. It's the person who feels like they have everything together. It's the person that goes, I have it all, I have it all figured out. They're the person that needs God's grace the most. His power is made perfect in weakness. Number three, what is he, what is he saying when he says boast? Well, he says testify. That's when God's power rested on us. Anybody ever heard a testimony from someone and that testimony just brought faith into your life? It's because we were supposed to be able to boast not in our incredible, awesome deeds, but we were able to boast in our inability to come to the, uh, uh, the grace of God without his power working over us. And when we boast in his goodness and his kindness over our lives, God's power rests on us. When we worship this morning, we don't do that in our own mind power, our own musical ability. We do that because God's anointing is upon us. Our heart comes before us and we say, Lord, or, or before the Lord and says, Lord, we need you. We want you. It's like what Liz did last week when she was singing. So it's such a beautiful job, like laying down the crowns and saying, God, whatever I am, whatever I have, whatever I have accomplished, all the idols in my life, everything, Lord, I lay them down. I consider them worthless in the presence of God because my life cannot be without you. All you are everything, everything that I have. I will not boast in what I've accomplished at work. I will not boast in what I've been able to do at my, in my family or how much money I have or what I drive. Father, if I'm going to boast, it's going to be in your goodness and your kindness and your grace because without it, I would not be here today. 
I am going to boast in that. I'm going to testify. And so when someone comes to you and they go, man, I've had a really bad week, you go, I know I, I have been there too many, many times before, but lift your head up. Lift your head. We've been talking about this staff. Lift your head up. Have like, I will lift my head up and look to the hills from which my help comes from. Why? Because I can't sit, I don't, I can't figure some things out. I can't change certain things that are going on in my life. But what I can do is rest and allow the power of God to work in circumstances and situations and say, God, I don't know what to do, but you do. And I'm going to have a faith that I am going to rest in you, that you are going to take over. And when you take over, things change. How many times? And so I, you know, people will come to me and they'll ask me advice and counsel on something. And I'll go, hey, just, just really take your hands off of it. They go, no, you didn't hear. This situation's bad. I need help. Okay, you've been involved in this situation for how many years now? And it ain't getting better. You ain't the solution. Does that make sense? But you don't understand. This is real. No, I understand. I got real things in my life too. But you don't know. This is this and this. Yeah, take your hands off of it and let God. The battle belongs to the Lord. It belongs to him. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's always a yeah, but. Does that make sense? Trust the Lord. And again, I say, trust the Lord. And again, I say, trust the Lord. Turn it over to him and rest. Rest. How many, how many spouse, your spouse can sleep through anything? Anybody here that has that kind of action going on? Okay. My wife sleeps like, like the Lord is coming back tomorrow. Everything's figured out. I, I, man, Miss Val can sleep. She goes in that bed and she sleeps. Kids can come in. The house can be on fire. And this woman sleeps in the Lord, the presence of God, a peace on her. I love it. Me, I hear one little thing. And I'm like, what's that? Somebody just broke in the house. You know what I'm saying? I want to have that level of faith in my life. Like what she's sleeping when I'm awake. Does that make sense? Just rolling through, sleeping in that bed like nothing's ever happening, man. Nothing's ever happening. I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that kind of faith. The last one is, and this one's hard, but we're going to have an opportunity to do it. Delight in hardships. Delight in hardships. <coughs> Excuse me. Here is that whenever we're going through something hard, we should celebrate it. And I mean, is that not the absolute opposite of everything we've been taught? Delight in hardships? No. But he's saying delight in hardships. Why? Because if you knew what it was developing in you, you would celebrate and worship God more. If you knew what the hardship was forming in you, you would go, man, thank you, Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like, I, I don't ever want to go through that again, but I'm glad I did? Father, I'm grateful for it. And we, and I say this pastorally, not, not critically, but we live in a culture that shies away from hardship at 
every opportunity. And friends, when you do that, you're stopping God from being able to do a deep work in you. Do hard things. And that's why we talk about it, delight in hardships. And so Paul is continuing his theme to the church at Corinth that he's sharing in Philippi. Delight in hardships. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Delight, because if you know what's happening in your life through hardships, and I'll say this as we close. Um, don't shortcut and circumvent and short-circuit what God's doing in your life by complaining about what's difficult. Ask the Holy Spirit to increase your faith that He is going to do something new in your life. Press in. Press up. Don't pull out and try to hide or run, but delight in hardships. Put a smile on your face.